Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Hey, Cardio Nerds family, this is Amit. On behalf of all of us at Cardio Nerds, we are thrilled to bring to you our Decipher the Guideline series for the 2022 AHA ACC HFSA Guideline for the Management of Heart Failure. Get ready for short and bite sized, high impact clinical vignette based questions designed to highlight core concepts based on cutting edge evidence that are relevant to your practice. The cases we use are hypothetical and created for educational purposes only. This series was developed by the Cardio Nerds and created in collaboration with the American Heart Association and the Heart Failure Society of America. It was created by 30 trainees spanning college student through advanced fellows with mentorship from Dr. Anu Lala, Dr. Robert Menz, and Dr. Nancy Schweitzer. We thank Dr. Judy Bazanson and Dr. Elliot Antman for their guidance along the way. So friends, join us as we get to learn about the heart failure guidelines and beyond from 16 leading faculty experts. And now, let's get nerdy. The following question refers to sections 10.2 of the 2022 AHA ACC HFSA guideline for the management of heart failure. The question is asked by Western Michigan University medical student and cardio nerd intern Shivani Reddy, answered first by Baymont Hospital Chief Medical Resident and Cardio Nerds Academy faculty, Dr. Dinu Balanescu, and then by expert faculty, Dr. Ileana Pinya. Dr. Pinya is Professor of Medicine and Quality Officer for the Cardiovascular Line at Thomas Jefferson University, Clinical Professor at Central Michigan University, and Adjunct Professor of Biostats and Epidemiology at Case Western University. She serves as Senior Fellow and Medical Officer at the Food and Drug Administration's Center for Devices and Radiological Health. Dr. Pina, welcome back to Cardio Nerds. Great to be here with all of you. And Shivani, I hear that you have a question for us? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Justin. So today we have Mr. E. Regular. He is a 61-year-old man with a history of HEFREP due to non-ischemic cardiomyopathy with his latest LV ejection fraction at 40% after more than three months of optimized GDMT. He also has persistent AFib. He has no other medical history and has been on metoprolol and apixaban. He has also undergone multiple electrical cardioversions and catheter ablations for AFib, but remains symptomatic with poorly controlled rates. His blood pressure is 105 over 65 millimeters of mercury, and hemoglobin A1c is 5.4%. Which of the following is a reasonable next step in the management of his atrial fibrillation? A. Antiarrhythmic drug therapy with amiodarone and stopping apixaban. B. Repeat catheter ablation for AFib and stopping apixaban. C. AV nodal ablation and RV pacing, along with shared decision-making regarding anticoagulation or D, AV nodal ablation and CRT device with shared decision-making regarding anticoagulation. Dinu, could you tell us what the correct answer is here? Absolutely. Thank you, Shivani. And the correct answer is D, AV nodal ablation and CRT device along with shared decision-making regarding anticoagulation. Let's find out why. 
We know that maintaining sinus rhythm and atrioventricular synchrony is very helpful in patients with heart failure given the hemodynamic benefits of atrial systole for diastolic filling and having a regularized rhythm. There have been recent randomized control trials that suggest that catheter-based rhythm control strategies are superior to rate control and chemical rhythm control strategies with regards to outcomes in atrial fibrillation. For patients with heart failure and symptoms caused by atrial fibrillation, ablation is reasonable to improve symptoms and quality of life. That's a class of recommendation 2A with the level of evidence B. However, Mr. Regular, our patient, has already had multiple failed attempts at ablations, which makes option B incorrect. For patients with AFib and a left ventricular ejection fraction less than 50%, if a rhythm control strategy fails or for some reason is not desired, and ventricular rates remain rapid despite medical therapy, AV nodal ablation with implantation of a CRT device is reasonable with a class of recommendation 2A and level of evidence B. The PAVE and BLOCK HF trials suggested improved outcomes with CRT devices in these patients. Now, RV pacing following AV nodal ablation rather than CRT has also been shown to improve outcomes in patients with AFib refractory to other rhythm control strategies. In patients with EF higher than 50%, there's no evidence to suggest that CRT is more beneficial compared to RV-only pacing. However, RV pacing may produce ventricular dyssynchrony, and when compared to CRT in those with a reduced EF less than 50%, CRT did produce more benefit. So that makes option C incorrect here. Although adjustments in antiarrhythmic medications and repeat ablation may be considered, these are very unlikely to provide any kind of long-term benefits to our patient, Mr. E. Regular, who already failed antiarrhythmic regimens and multiple attempts at cardioversion and ablation, which makes options A and B incorrect. Now, in patients with chronic heart failure and AFib, the decision for anticoagulation for the prevention of cerebral vascular events is generally based on the CHADS-VAS score. Mr. Regular's Chad's VAS score is 1. He gets 1 point for heart failure and no points for hypertension, age, stroke TIA or thromboembolism, vascular disease, or female gender. Chronic anticoagulation therapy is recommended for patients with Chad's VAS scores greater than or equal to 2 for men and greater than or equal to 3 for women, class of recommendation 1, level of evidence A. Therefore, based on the Chad's VAS score alone, our Mr. Regular would not necessarily warrant anticoagulation. However, Heart failure is a hypercoagulable state and serves as an independent risk factor for stroke, systemic embolism, and mortality in the setting of AFib. In patients with heart failure and a CHADS-VAS score of 1, those with AFib had a threefold higher risk compared with individuals without concomitant AFib. And because heart failure is a risk factor, additional risk factors may not be required to support the use of anticoagulation in patients with heart failure, and the decision to anticoagulate can be individualized according to risk versus benefit. The guidelines give a class 2A recommendation with level of evidence B for chronic anticoagulation in men and women with chronic heart failure and permanent persistent or proximal AFib who have no additional risk factors. Therefore, decisions regarding anticoagulation in this context should incorporate patient values, comorbidities, and informed shared decision making. So just to summarize, the ablate and pay strategy of AV nodal ablation and CRT device implantation improves outcomes in patients with heart failure with reduced EF and atrial fibrillation, refractory to chemical and catheter-based rhythm control strategies, and failure of recontrol options. So Dr. Pina, a complicated case. We would love to hear your perspective here. Well, I actually have a couple of patients like this in my clinic, and I don't chase the ablation quickly. I really, really push the GDMT in these patients. And what you want to know is where was 
his EF before being now 40, was it 15? Was it 20? Was the ventricle dilated? Was the atrium dilated? And those are the things that make me decide how quickly I want to put them into sinus rhythm. He was on metoprolol. What dose of metoprolol? And what was his heart rate with the metoprolol at lower at higher doses? Does he have any side effects from the metoprolol? The other thing that I really track is the ProBMP because the ProBMP will tell me a lot, even though it's higher usually in atrial fibrillation. If I am tracking this patient, I would have been tracking their ProBMP. And if that ProBMP is still elevated, I wonder if I still have room to go up on the medical therapy before I send them to ablation. Ablation doesn't work in everybody. Ablation isn't for everybody. But this is a patient I would definitely anticoagulate regardless of the CHAD score because he has all these risk factors and it worries me. I mean, these patients really do worry me. And right now with our anticoagulants, it's relatively easy to keep them anticoagulated. Right now, I have one young man whose ejection fraction hasn't improved that much, but I have his NT-ProBMP down into the 200 range. And he's still been in AFib. And the other thing that I worry about the rate in AFib is it contributing to heart failure based on just rate. Remember, you can do heart failure in a dog by pacing them rapidly. So I worry about that side of the AFib. So it's something that, you know, I have a lot of conversations with the patients about this. And this young man, I am going to send him again to a cardio version now well-medicated with my level of medications. But certainly, if I were going to ablate them, I think CRT is the right choice because single-chamber pacing, which we have now data to show this, doesn't do as well as CRT pacing. But again, you're putting in more devices. You have to remember that there's real estate in the chest, and you're taking up some extra real estate by putting in the CRT. There's also questions now about whether we should be doing standard CRT Or is there a place for his bundle pacing, particularly in patients that have difficulty finding the coronary sinus to put in the left lead? So that's just a long way of saying this is complex. This requires a good conversation with the patient. But I would like to know a little bit more about that ventricle. Thank you so much, Dinu and Dr. Pena, for walking us through that very complex case. And in this case, you know, we saw that the ablatant pace strategy was suitable for a patient like Mr. E. Regular, but certainly it's important to recognize that the best approach in terms of whether that involves rate versus rhythm control, anticoagulation, or device therapy tends to be very much individualized and nuanced. (laughs) 